Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Batter Mets fans, welcome to A Pod of Their Own. We are on episode seven, and I am once again joined by my lovely co-hosts, Maggie Wiggin. Hello, Maggie. Hi, Allison. And Linda Servich. Hi, Linda. Hello, Allison. Um, We are recording this on Tuesday night, May 14th, and the Mets are finally playing baseball again. It feels like it was more than just two days, doesn't it? (laughs) Well, it's been raining for 40 days and 40 nights, so... (laughs) Built That's a goddamn ark. Lines up. Yep. <laughs> Noah. Noah's yeah, I mean. ark. Got Noah's Ark going, um, so the Mets are finally playing again as we speak and winning, so that's very exciting. Um, Overall, um, the Mets are, you know, in a rough position, but not in the roughest position they could be in. Um, They are currently three and a half, four and a half games out of first. Which one is it? I can't remember. Four and a half, I think. Um, The Phillies are in first place, and the Braves are one game ahead of the Mets. Um, and then the Nationals are far behind the Mets and the Marlins are in the basement, as we expected. Um, but the Mets have entered sort of an easy stretch of their schedule. They got a series against the Marlins, which they won the first two games. They didn't get a chance to complete the sweep because the game was rained out. Um, and now they're playing the Nationals. Um, and then I believe they will be playing Miami again and the Nationals again. Um, and they will be playing uh, the Detroit Tigers as well. So they're facing an easy part of their schedule. The Mets have had the toughest part, the toughest schedule to this date of 
any of the National League East teams, I would say, as far as strength of schedule and as far as travel. So they're finally entering um, an easier stretch of the schedule, whereas the other NL East teams are entering a more difficult part of their schedule, especially the Phillies. Um, So the Mets really kind of have to take advantage of that, don't you guys think? (laughs) Yeah, I will say, so it's it's an easy part of the schedule in terms of the strengths of our opponents, but I did realize that they're heading into a 20 game, 20 day stretch of consecutive games. So that's just going to make things difficult considering that they are running out 50% of a starting rotation. Yes, that's an issue. Yes. And Wilmer Font is one of them. I, I wasn't really counting him. Okay. <laughs> we, I don't blame Sorry, you. Wilmer. Yeah, we. <laughs> not as, my Wilmer. <laughs> hashtag not my Wilmer. Not my um, Wilmer. As far as, you know, updates on uh, Mats and Vargas are concerned, originally the plan was for Mats to return this weekend against Miami. And I think that that's still on the table, but Mickey Calway kind of gave a very non-committal quote about that today. And that's kind of like, oh, Jesus Christ, here we go again. Um, so who knows? Mats is supposed to come back this weekend, maybe a little bit later than that. Um, Vargas, we don't really have a timetable on at all. He's running. That's as far as I know, he has a hamstring strain, so he's running, but he hasn't returned to like throwing. He's supposed to throw a bullpen this weekend, I believe, and see how that pans out. So that's kind of where we're at with the pitching. And now we have, uh, as Maggie said, 20 consecutive days without a day off. We had gotten away with it up until now because we had had days off and rainouts um, that have allowed us to sort of, you know, go without a fifth starter for a while. But that's not going to be the case pretty soon. So not only do we have Wilmer Font in the rotation, we may end up with an Oswalter Flexen thing happening. Yeah, Wilmer Font is not only in our rotation, he is our number four starter. Super. That's, uh, it's not it's not what you want but but other than like the the actual starting pitchers that we do that the Mets do have have been very good lately yeah. I think they're near the top of baseball in you know for the, for the month of May in terms of ERA both on the starting and on the relieving side yeah as a whole so, staff that's been a nice recovery because it was definitely a very scary stretch for a while there and they looked absolutely lost yeah well they only had up to go so this is like i guess kind of normalizing and especially lugo and gazelleman too they have been phenomenal coming out of the pen recently they've been key yeah. <laughs> absolutely yeah. enough key. that i really hope i really hope they don't have to pull them one or both of them no. out of the of the bullpen for the rotation because you really don't want to lose those weapons yeah no and they can go multiple innings it's just do you want them going multiple innings at the beginning of the game or the end of the game that's really what it comes down to and the problem with lugo especially is is that since familia has been the on the injured list lugo's basically been the eighth inning guy and may continue to be because who knows even when familia does return if familia is not you know something resembling himself he's not he's not good eighth inning guy then then he's not your setup man and mickey calloway and others have made you know sort of allusions to 
easing him back into the setup role, which I think is fine. But the problem is, is then Lugo becomes your setup man, which is fine. But also that means that he only pitches the eighth inning and doesn't pitch multiple innings, which removes one of those multi-inning weapons. Then you only have Gazelman to be your multi-inning, you know, shutdown guy, which I is an issue. I wouldn't be shocked, though. I mean, if Lugo is... First of all, I think Callaway may be kind of hinting at, you know, when talking about Familia having to kind of work his way back in, I think he may also be kind of hinting at um, it being Lugo's job to lose. But then also, I think we've seen him use Lugo creatively. And I feel like that pairing, the Callaway-Lugo pairing, is one that could end up with him kind of being able to approximate a multi-inning setup role. So, like, if nothing is going, if there's nothing to worry about in the seventh, then maybe he sits and comes up in the eighth. But if things are looking tight in the seventh, then bring him in and he can give you two basically set up innings. So it's, I, I don't hate, I don't hate Lugo kind of straddling those two roles. I think it's one that can actually, I think it can work. I agree. Yeah. And but I Mickey think Callaway also- has to be up to the task. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, let's say the Mets are up by three in the eighth and then they score another run in the ninth then maybe you leave Lugo in instead of bringing Diaz in when you don't need to if it's a non-save situation got it up they're very strict yeah (laughs) since they're very strict about when and when you can't use Diaz yeah yeah exactly um and you know the 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 pitching has turned it around and especially Jacob DeGrom and that's been great to see is it's like finally I feel like I can like exhale you know it was just like I think Linda you and I have talked about this at great length is like (laughs) I like Jake starts were just like stressing me out at this point I was just like "Uh, is he bad now and it would just make me so nervous and sad and I'm just like so glad I'm past that point of my (laughs) life and I hope it never returns yeah like shielding my eyes watching the game like I was more nervous for his starts and like Vargas starts I'm like why why did we reached this point and but to his credit he did say after the last game he was never worried i was like well good i'm glad you weren't because no i totally didn't panic no i grew I was... some new gray hairs but that's yeah, fine it's, it's fine. fine it's all like fine. you were okay with it because you know yeah well the thing is when a guy like that is pitching so badly every single pitch you just expect him to come off the mound holding his arm like yeah. that that was what i was waiting for every single start and that is exhausting that's a yeah. lot that's, that's like 100 and, pitches equals 100 worries well and then he did then it's like oh his elbows barking it's like oh god here we go i knew something was wrong <laughs> but yeah he seems he seems good and like and it's not it's interesting because you know i wrote that piece about you know is it the juice baseballs affecting Degrom and Syndergaard because across the league aces were struggling and it's looking like you know it looks like Chris Sale is back so it's mm-hmm. it's kind of making me wonder if this is like a league-wide trend and that now that the weather is a little bit warmer although it's not been warm this week and isn't warm tonight but like as a general whole the weather is warming up and maybe the cold April weather combined with the slick baseballs had something to do with it and maybe now that the weather is warming up even though they may give up a few more home runs than they ordinarily would because of the juice baseballs in the warm weather but they but as a trade-off they'll actually be able to control their pitches which is the more important thing so i'm well, hoping the, that that's part of it yeah and the good ones adapt too exactly like, you know scherzer exactly. will figure it out jake will figure it out sale will figure it out so if they realize something's not working 
they'll like you know they've said Syndergaard's throwing more changeups now so it seems like if he doesn't trust his slider anymore he'll go to another pitch that he knows he can get people out with yeah very blessed to not be facing Max Scherzer in this series by the way <laughs> yes so god <laughs> hashtag blessed um but yeah, and and the other thing is that so the pitching has turned it around, and the pitching has looked good for like you know relatively good for like over a week now. Um, but the but the offense was looking you know horrendous. It was like the Ooh. second that the pitching was turning it around, the offense kind of died. But the past you know few games, offense seems to be back. But again, it's just a question of is this is this a, a like a function of the strength of the schedule? Is it the fact that we're facing weaker opponents or is it actual adjustments that the hitters are making? And I mean, it can be both of those things, but you know, it's just a question of, I hope that it's like permanent adjustments that they can take into the rest of the schedule. Yeah. And like people were also blaming Todd Frazier. Like as soon as he came back, the offense went into the, into the crapper, but it's like, if your offense can be derailed by one ball player, how solid was your offense to begin with then? Right. Right. Well, I do think like, and I kind of explored this last week. I think it was when I talked about the offense and it's not necessarily that like Frazier is so bad that he murdered the Mets offense on his own. <laughs> But that when he came up, Dom Smith went down, mm-hmm. not it, it wasn't exactly synchronized, but um, and then also J.D. Davis, who has been hitting very well, just started getting many, many, many fewer opportunities. So it wasn't it, it was more like that you had his very bad bat in there, but that also you were losing some good bats. Now, Dom Smith is back, which is great. Yep. Um, and so, I mean, I think there's a lot, there's definitely a lot going on in terms of the offense and what's kind of a little, like there's a, it's a very kind of top heavy offense all of a sudden yeah. where early yeah, in the season sure. we were seeing like up and down the lineup guys were hitting, but now you've got, you've got McNeil and Conforto and Alonzo all with OPSs over 900 awesome but then everything else I mean really the only guy you have hanging out in the middle there is Rosario who um I'm actually I'm dropping a piece for Amazing Avenue I'm gonna say tomorrow but that won't mean anything to people listening on Wednesday um about Rosario because he's really like hanging in there um but everyone else besides those four is really struggling big time and that's a that's a hard that's a hard kind of distribution to survive with because you really need to cluster some action from, from your guys who can hit when you only have three and a half of those. It's, it's rough. Yeah. And it's gotten to the point where they moved Rosario up to second in the order for today's game, which is actually a decision I agree with because why the heck not um, put Rosario up there? Cause usually at the top of your order, you want to have McNeil and Nimmo either two, one or one, two, whatever order you want to put those two in would be like the ideal situation. But because Nimmo is struggling, they can't keep him at the top of the order right now. They just can't do it. And so as a result, because Rosario is actually hitting, they've moved him up to second in the order. I'm hoping that once the offense begins clicking on all cylinders, Nimmo can go back up to either first or second in the order, and McNeil can either be first or second, depending on where you put Nimmo, and you can slot Rosario back down at the bottom of the order, and then it becomes a much more balanced 
lineup. You know, it's hard to even just fit all the pieces together, too. And I guess maybe that's a good problem to have, because I also liked Alonso in the second hole to get him, you know, as many at bats as possible. So now yeah. that he's further down, you know, he might only get, you know, four bats instead of maybe five on a good night. So, I mean, yeah, you want to have your table setters, too. But I liked also Alonso in the in batting second and they were doing pretty good with him there for a little while but now you just kind of have to, you have all these pieces and you have to figure out who's hitting where do they belong you know and kind of and again this goes to do you trust mickey Callaway to figure it out exactly it kind of goes back to what we talked about last week do you trust mickey Callaway to be the manager to manage all these moving parts um which kind of is a transition to you know the other main topic that's happening right now which is that we had been talking about you know leading up to jed lowry's return how would you manage the playing time for all these dudes who would you send down for him or cut um, as the case may be, and how would you manage the playing time? Who would, like, get days off on certain days? How would you manage the batting order? But now it seems that Jed Lowry has had a setback. Womp womp. Very Mets. More like a Mets back. <laughs> a Mets back. Yeah, Mets back. The Mets month is back, baby. Oh, poor Lowry. I do feel bad for him because it seems like and he had a good day on Friday. I think he went like three for four with like a home run and a double. So I was like, this is great. He seems, you know, be finding his swing. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, he disappeared. We're not sure what's going on. And now he had a setback. Yeah, it was well, kind of like... The, I mean, this is what we knew we were getting with Lowry is that when he's healthy, he's good when he's healthy. And I'd like to imagine that maybe he's getting all of his all of his IL time out of the way early and then his his good time will be forevermore. But um, yeah, I mean, this was always the... This is always what you had to watch out for with, with Lowry because he's definitely been beat up. Well, yeah. he did have some freakish injuries earlier in his career, like getting hit in the face with a ball. I think that's what deviated his septum and stuff. Yeah, so lately, lately yeah. he's been pretty healthy the past like, yeah. few years. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is the risk you take when you sign o- older players, as the Mets are wont to do. But like, you know, I'm. St- I think it, there's a lot of like revisionist history for people who are like see shouldn't have signed Lowry I like I don't know man I I like I still I still think it was like a good process thing and that yeah. this is just an unfortunate you know bad case of Mets um you know the second <laughs> a dude comes to the Mets he you know is hurt all the time as usual um but you know it's it, but it's hard to deny that while you can say it was good process, it's hard to deny that Brody Van Wagenen's, you know, off-season free agent acquisitions have looked pretty terrible on the whole, just like as like as the results have been really bad on all fronts, regardless of what you think of the process. You've got Lowry hasn't played a single game yet. You've got Familia, who's been on the injured list um, and was underperforming before that. Um, You've got Justin Wilson, who was pretty good when he was healthy, but again, on the injured list. And then you've got Wilson Ramos, today's Grand Slam aside, hooray, um, who has been, you know, pretty bad. He started out really hot with the bat the first few weeks, two to three weeks of the season, and then was just, you know, big nothing after that until this Grand Slam he just hit. So it's just not looking good. Well, even his hot start... His hot start was also like that was a babbithy. Yeah, very bad at all. Slugging, like, and he's 
he's not a guy who's gonna hold up like a 400 BABIP no. at all. Nope. No. So, so it was always, um, it was always a bit of a nail biter and you just, you gotta look at kind of what, what he was looking like last year in terms of the power numbers. And it's a little, it's a little disconcerting that it's, that it's continuing so strongly right now. Right. So it's kind of like, you know, the off season acquisitions not looking so hot. It's unfortunate. Wait. But, so is J.D. Davis his best off-season acquisition? Um, and Diaz. Diaz. Oh, yeah. Diaz and Canal. Yeah. I would say Diaz. Um, but that's that was a trade. I was talking, like, yeah. I said free agent signings. Oh, but okay. Like, but, yeah, acquisitions as a whole, I would say, I mean, I think, you know, jury is still out on, I guess, if I'm being generous, jury's still out on the Cano-Diaz trade. It's hard to, like, evaluate it until Kelenic takes a major league at bat. I think that people, like, you know, losing their goddamn minds over Kelenic's minor league stats mm-hmm. need to, like, chill the hell out a little bit. Um, it's like, and honestly, if Diaz is saving postseason games and Cano is hitting in postseason games, it does not matter what yeah, Kelenic does yeah. in, in three years or five years or, like, it, that's you know, it doesn't matter that um, that Michael Fulmer, a couple years down the line, was throwing really well um, for the Tigers because Yoenis Cespedes got the Mets into the playoffs and through the playoffs. Like sure. that's that's a successful trade. Like I don't really need Kalenic to to stink it up for this to be a good trade. I just have to see Diaz and Cano doing what they were brought here to do. And half of that so far is has worked it out. It's just getting everything else, getting everything else aligned is is taking its time. Yeah, sometimes trades work out for both teams. Like that's the point of a trade. Not I need to fleece you in order for this trade to be a good trade. Exactly. No, like the other teams have scouts too. They don't want your crap. Exactly. <laughs> so, Gotta give something so to get something. Yeah, so if you're going to give up one of the best closers, if not the best closer last year, you're going to have to give up something. Right. And I mean, you know, it's it's a win now trade. So I would like for, you know, I think the jury's still out because I would like to see the Mets, you know, win. <laughs> and so I would like to see them, you know, go to the postseason on the strength of this team partially built by this trade. Because if you're going to trade away prospects, you want to be pretty confident in your team's ability to win now. And obviously the jury is still out on that. But I think on paper, that's still, you know, the acquisitions that he got via that trade have performed very well in Diaz and, you know, pretty well in Cano. And I think that he's going to heat up and be more himself. We've already seen indications of that. Um, and J.D. Davis, you know, I was actually disappointed in that trade when it happened, but I, I'll fully take my lumps and admit I was wrong. He's been a good contributor so far for this team. Yeah, um, he, I mean, defense aside, but he does seem, he, and he hits the ball hard every, every it seems like every time. Um, he was doing fine, too. I think they stuck him in the two-hole for a little while, too, and he was okay. He was holding his own at the top of the lineup. He brings some pop with the bat, so I think he's a solid piece that, you know, winning ball club should have on their team. Yeah, and I, he, and I mean, 
people are frustrated and understandably so with the fact that Frazier coming back cut into his playing time. But I think Frazier started every day for a little while. And I think that the, I think that Callaway like saw that he like really can't do this anymore. And then Davis started yeah, to play. batting eighth now. Yeah. yeah. Davis started playing a lot more like last week. Davis had more at bats than Frazier had. Um, yeah. So he realized, I think, I mean, he still hasn't completely benched Frazier. I mean, Frazier's in the starting lineup tonight, uh, but he's at least giving it more of a timeshare than, you know, Frazier's the starting third baseman every single day. Davis is on the bench. He's clearly at least the message has gotten through to him a little bit. So that's good news. And hopefully it'll continue to be that or Frazier will, you know, start hitting and maybe he'll play more if he starts hitting, you know, so that'd be good. Um, Like, you know, point being. The Mets can survive without Jed Lowry. It just would be nice if they didn't have to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although, you know, it also would make Callaway think about his lineups and stuff. And Callaway thinking can sometimes be dangerous. <laughs> right. Especially with his pregame press conference today uh, about Wilson. Some really dumb stuff. Yeah. About how, like citing the Mets record when Wilson Ramos starts, and of course, yeah. and of course Ramos hits a grand slam, so he's gonna like feel so like he's a genius, genius now. Uh-huh. Like, see, Wilson Ramos is awesome. He's if our catcher. ERA isn't a thing, and it isn't. Then catcher wins is definitely not a thing. Even more not a thing. Yeah, Mickey. <laughs> like, oh my god. Um, <laughs> Anyway, hopefully the Mets, you know, really continue to take advantage of this part in the schedule, um, get their pitching continues to stay straightened out, and hopefully they can cobble together the back end of the rotation while we wait for Mats and Vargas to come back. Um, and hopefully the offense can continue to capitalize on, you know, this this part of the schedule. Um when we get back, um, we will follow up somewhat on our segment from last week um, and talk about developments that have happened since then on uh, Russell, Osuna, and others. So stay tuned for that. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Just a heads up, um, a content warning similar to last week. We will be discussing domestic violence during this segment. If this is something that hits close to home for you or something you'd rather not listen to, uh, skip ahead about 25 minutes. You will be able to find the official timestamps of when each segment begins on AmazingAvenue.com or the show post for this episode. Thanks. And here's the segment. 
and we are back. Um, so this week, um, we're going to sort of do a follow-up on last week's segment, which we didn't exactly like necessarily plan on doing, but we feel like we have to do it because a lot happened since we recorded um, last Tuesday. Um, Addison Russell was activated um, onto the Cubs active roster literally the day after we recorded our podcast, um, and he gave a rather shitty quote. <laughs> Which do do one of you have it? Do you want to, one of you want to read it, or should I read it? Um, it's pretty bad. I don't. You can go ahead and read it. All right, I'll read it. So he said, "Quote: I am a baseball player for the Chicago Cubs. I'm one of the dudes in this clubhouse. I'm one of the guys who goes out there and puts their body on the line. We do it because we love it. We want to win, and we want to bring another championship to Chicago. And if hometown fans want to boo someone that's trying to help bring the team a World Series, then that's on them." Like, there's just so so much wrong with that statement. I don't even know where to begin. Putting your body on the line, number one, is horrible. That's not a, that's also not a visual that he really ought to be invoking. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, it's like extra yikes. Yeah, like, use your brain before you speak. And then clearly he was expecting to be cheered, too, for him to have that reaction to being booed. Because before the game, he was like, oh, you know, however the fans feel, that's fine, you know. But then after the game, he's like, oh, that's on them. So clearly he did not get the reaction he was expecting and then got mad about it. But, you know, like, I mean, why wouldn't he expect to be cheered? everyone else has gotten cheered uh-huh. like and he got I cheered mean, in the minors if anything this is like a small step forward for humanity but like this is this feeds into the the expectation that the media and his peers help create that when you do something bad in your life you can fix it with baseball and mm-hmm. that's not that's not that's not how it works like you can't make up for hurting a person by hitting a baseball. That's not, those are not equivalent situations. Yeah. Like, why don't you love me? This is what he thinks. This is what he thinks will happen. This is how he thinks it works because everybody has been telling him and everyone else that this is how it works. So I kind of, I mean, don't get me wrong. He's trash, but also I, I can see why he, expected something different yeah fans why don't you love me i'm trying to bring a world series back to the chicago cubs like why why like how could you possibly is that the most important yeah like well then there was that stupid article that i found beforehand um where they were asking if he had more joy for the game and more passion for the game like that's not what we're concerned about right now (laughs) that was the night y'all article right yes yeah. And, uh, like, no, that was Bastion, Jordan Bastion. Oh, God. that's There were two yeah. awful softball pieces yeah. about him in the space of like three days. Just like, how could we love you more, Addison Russell? Yeah. Like, oh, your passion for the game has grown because you almost lost it because you beat your girl, your pregnant girlfriend. Like, uh, uh, how? How does that make you appreciate the game more? I... Like, like well, that doesn't that shouldn't follow logically. It's like they uh, double like... and triple and quadruple down on this tone deaf stuff. Yes, and <laughs> like... of course it was a man asking the questions too. Right, of course, of course, and it's like, and and not only did all of this occur, 
We learned today that the Cubs, quote, internally, end quote, um, want to move Javier Baez around the infield and make Edison Russell the everyday Gosh. shortstop. So not only is he, A, indignant about the fans booing him, completely defensive about the whole thing, doesn't understand how they couldn't like him, clearly, again, does not remotely comprehend or take responsibility for his actions, B, getting softball questions from the media, more fluff pieces on and on, C, he's literally, like, supplanting a superior player at his position like yeah, what like is an mvp happening? caliber player why are you bending over backwards to get this guy at bats getting him comfortable i guess he doesn't like second base who cares <laughs> like you, you don't like second base you're off the team i don't care like, like javi baez got mvp votes last year we should care about what javi baez wants it's 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 mind-boggling like, I mean, on one hand, like, it's mind-boggling. On the other hand, I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> Sadly. No. Like, ugh, this is just, like, unbelievable stuff. And, you know, so Russell is not the only one to be completely tone-deaf this week. We also have um, Roberto Osuna, who we also mentioned on last week's podcast. He made a very special tweet. Um, <laughs> on, on Mother's, Mother's Day. Day. <laughs> on Mother's Day. You know, so add compounding the tone deafness of the whole thing. He tweeted this on Mother's Day. So he tweeted a picture of his pink cleats that he was wearing on Mother's Day. You know, lots of players have pink cleats on Mother's Day. So he was one of the many players. So he tweeted. And the real issue with the tweet was the caption, which was mm-hmm. he, he wrote it in Spanish. But I'm going to read the caption in English, which is for my mom and also for all my haters. With smiley faces and, and dollar sign and dollar sign emojis, which is like, oh, I don't God. know what that is all about. But yeah. but again, it comes down to this like, it's it's this like, oh, you don't like me, ha ha, kind of haters thing, which, gonna hate, which, right? I mean, it's that attitude is is fine when it's coming from like Bryce Harper, right? When right, exactly. people really do just hate him because he's got yeah, attitude, because right. he beats up on our teams and whatever, because like, he's he, good at the sports. Yeah, yeah, like and, and in an annoying way. I mean, yeah, Bryce Harper has haters. Robert Azuna does not have haters. He has people who are legitimately outraged by the terrible things he has done, and the fact that that they persist he and Russell both persist in being completely incapable of drawing this distinction. I, I don't know if it's just that they're not very bright or that they're sociopaths or maybe both, both of these things, but it's, it's really, it's not good. But why wouldn't you? Cause you got away with it and he profited off his domestic abuse. If he, he had never beat his wife, he would probably still be on the last or close to last place Toronto Blue Jays. Now he's on a perennial team that could win the, the, the World Series every year. So you know what? He's he actually came out ahead in that situation. So of course he's not going to care about you know what people think. He got away with it, and he's in a better position because of it. And you know what? And nobody in baseball seems to care. You know, there's that quote in Titanic where Rose says, "I feel like I'm in the middle of a crowded room, screaming at the top of my lungs, and nobody even looks up." And that's what it feels like. Like, it just seems like nothing happens and nobody cares when it does happen. Right. And it's, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous (laughs) for all my haters. 
Yeah, for my haters. Yeah, for no, my haters. we hate you because you beat your wife or your yeah, girlfriend. Like, the nerve of us. Like Maggie said, trying to equate like sports hate, like good natured yeah. sports hate, like the type that Mets fans have for Bryce Harper, where like, you know, we hate him because he's good at baseball and good against our team and has like attitude and swagger or whatever, you know, and like we look at his face and we're like, er, Bryce Harper, like that is sports hate. I don't hate him as a person because he hasn't done anything like this to my knowledge. And so like, obviously as a person, he's fine, but like these people have done legitimately terrible things. They are trash human beings. This isn't just sports hate. This is like your fan base telling you that they are very upset and offended. They are on, that you are on their baseball team and still in this game that they love. This is completely different. And they just, that completely goes over their head. They don't get it at all. It's like, and if these players and their defenders want to then make the claim of like, oh, well, everybody deserves a second chance, you know, let let them prove that they've changed. Well, here's your chance and you keep proving well, the opposite. It. Like, keep your head down. Say that you're grateful to have an opportunity at all and you're going to just do everything you can to show that you are a better person. Like that's all you say. And then you shut up. You don't actually ever do the bad thing again. You thank your lucky stars that you get paid millions of dollars to do the thing that you love and you live your life quietly. That's how you do it. Right. And if you're Addison Russell, you say the same thing that you had been saying before all the booze rained down on you. You say, you know, I'm I've got to earn the I've got to earn the trust of the fans back. I understand mm-hmm. why some of them may feel this way. That's all you have to say. And That's I know all you have to say we put I know we put David Wright on a pedestal here. But why is he the only one who has ever said what Jose did was wrong? He's the only person who has ever specifically called out yep. a teammate saying what they did was wrong and it should not ever happen again why can't any of these other guys say that like why can't we all agree that domestic violence is wrong why does that even need to be said and yet i need like i do need them to say that because their actions tell me that they don't believe it and And it's not like jose reyes ditched david wright as a friend after he said that like they clearly remained friends so it's possible you know like it's possible to have you know to sort of compartmentalize, you know, your friendship with this guy who you clearly have built a relationship with over many, many years of playing together, and I respect that, with this terrible freaking thing he did and still condemning that and yeah. not having to lo- even lose the friendship out of it. He, he said what he did was awful and he, was, he didn't mince words about it. What he did was awful. No. I hope he learns from it. That's all you have to say. And they stayed friends. Yeah. And there was no reports of, like, clubhouse issues or, you know, like, it is possible. No. Like, it is possible to, like we said, it is possible to call your friend out when they do something horrible. And nobody else, not a single person in the entire MLB has the guts to do it. Nope. And and now there's a whole new team who we can look forward to not doing anything about it because... We have a, a new announcement just this morning. Julio Urias on the L.A. Dodgers um, this morning. Um, he is a, you know, kind of a prospect still-ish young player um, who's in their bullpen I think right he's now. 22. 22 years old. Um, and he, you know, was arrested 
this morning. Um, well, last night, rather. But we learned of it this morning. Um, he was arrested after um, arguing in the parking lot of, like, I think a shopping mall. Um, he was arguing with the woman he was with. Um, unclear if it's his girlfriend or not. Um, but arguing with the woman he was with at a shopping mall. And apparently there are witness accounts and videotape of him shoving her to the ground. Um, so he has been placed on administrative leave by the Dodgers. Um and he spent the night in jail and was bailed out early this morning. So that is the latest. We have another, yet another player. This keeps on happening. And until we, you know, respond appropriately to this, people are going to keep doing this and think it's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because they're going to get away with it. Yeah, well, there are no also, Yeah, and this is also a... a another illustration of something that's really common to see in domestic violence cases where um, apparently the, the woman who he shoved to the ground when the police showed up, she said that it was just a fight, that nothing happened, that it didn't get physical. Now, of course, there are multiple witnesses who have no reason to invent this, this action on his part, but it's, it's just going to make things complicated and people are going to say well if if he's abusing her then why did she then why does she stay why does she defend him and and i'm just gonna keep sending everybody to the websites we've been sharing for the last week because there's so so many reasons why she might not feel safe to to actually press charges to tell the truth about what happened and it's it's so sad to see and it's so difficult yeah, because imagine in her if you're in her position and you get in an argument at a shopping mall at a shopping mall in public and he does this to you in public in front of other people. Imagine if he perceives that you've ruined his career, what he will do to you in private for going mm-hmm. to the cops, for you know, going to the team, for going to whomever about it and rather than trying to say no no no, wasn't that big of a deal. You know, don't worry. <laughs> so you yeah, know, I don't there, want this to be a thing. Yeah. There are complicated reasons why women don't want to come forward about this stuff. But there are multiple eyewitness accounts. Like Maggie said, there's no reason for them to lie. And the article, the initial, it was reported initially by TMZ and then obviously taken up by many other outlets. But in the TMZ article, um, the article even were, used the word adamant. Witnesses were adamant that they saw Arias push the woman to the ground. So. You know, it's not just that the witnesses were saying, oh, yeah, we think this is what happened. They they seem pretty, you know, sure that that's what happened. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Um, like I said, he's been placed on administrative leave. Um, obviously, you know, this is a different organization. You know, the Houston Astros claimed they had a no tolerance policy, but then they brought on Osuna anyway. So we've already seen how teams can be hypocritical about this and say one thing and do another when it's your guy that's under fire. Um, but you know, the Dodgers don't have the best track record in the world with dealing with this stuff. Um, there was, you know, a previous incident, um, uh, involving the Dodgers involving now Phillies manager, Gabe Kapler, among others, um, where there was, there was, a uh, an incident where, um, underage girls were partying with some of their minor league players, um, in a hotel room. And a girl was physically assaulted by the two other women in the room. And then later, um, alleged 
that there was a sexual assault that occurred um, by one of the Dodgers minor league players. Um, and the Dodgers never went to the police um, and, you know, kind of try. Uh, Gabe Kapler tried to arrange a dinner with the girl and her yeah. grandmother to try to kind of like sweep the whole thing under the rug. Now, Gabe Kapler, t- uh, you know, trying to be fair here, Gabe Kapler says he was when he was organizing the dinner, he wasn't aware that there was that the, that a sexual assault had apparently occurred. He found that out later, but still no one ever went to the police. Well, and I think like so this this is this is also a story, you know, um asterisks abound where this is coming from a very limited set of sources. So a lot of this is alleged and there's certainly a lot of conflicting accounts of what actually happened, but one thing that doesn't seem to be in question is that the Dodgers didn't didn't share this incident with yeah. MLB and that Kapler was a big part of why, or at least, you know, he certainly was in a position to report this to MLB to, to allow for a league wide disciplinary approach. Um, but they opted to keep it in house, which is very sketchy and certainly not, um, just, just, that what you want and it raises some pretty serious trust issues with the Dodgers organization in particular. Yeah. Like it also, you know, makes you wonder, you know, if there was some of their higher prospects, it does like, you know, like you kind of go, Hmm, like did the Dodgers benefit by not telling anyone about this? Cause minor leaguers are subject to the same domestic violence policy i believe because the astros one of their minor leaguers was suspended so it does make you question it but yeah there we don't know the full story we'll probably never know the full story but you're not willing to give them the benefit of the doubt per se yeah so yeah this organization and mlb has you know a bad history when it comes to these things um and, you know, it's and it's not it's not just domestic violence. There are other players like a whole host of other players that are that have done terrible things that are, you know, making their way into baseball and quietly playing baseball and nothing's really being done about it. So, you know, there is Jung Ho Gong who, you know, has three DUIs um, and a a sexual assault charge, allegation, I'll put it that way, no charges, allegation. Um, Yeah, and he just, he just, like, (laughs) quietly just, like, magically appeared on the Pirates roster at the start of the season. Like, there was very little media attention paid to the fact that this criminal just pops back in playing like nothing changed right he played in uh the kbo for a while if i recall correctly after this after all these things went down um he was playing in korea for a while and now he's back in baseball and no one cares he's got three duis um there is an allegation um that was never really resolved uh that a woman says that he that they connected on a dating app um he invited her up to his hotel room she went up to his hotel room he gave her a drink and and she alleges that he assaulted her either 
putting putting something in the drink or giving her too many drinks, but she was in and out of consciousness and he sexually assaulted her. So that, you know, and three DUIs and he's just casually playing baseball and no one is saying anything about it. Like, you know, at least <laughs> even if they're fluff pieces, at least Addison Russell's being written about. This is not being written about by barely anyone. It just like sort of happened without much fanfare. No one said anything. He's just playing again. Well, I guess because he figures enough time has gone, like like you said, he did um, play in Korea for a little while. So I guess people figure enough time leaves. Eh, nobody cares. You just let it slide. And, you know, sadly, that's what does happen. People forget. And then they just the whole issue just kind of gets swept under the rug. And that's that. And so you do have to stay on top of these things. Exactly. Like we can't we can't let these things drop. Because in, you know, bringing up another player, um, we have Luke Heimlich, um, who was a former uh, college star at Oregon State, um, you know, was eligible for the MLB draft during the most recent draft. Um, But (laughs) he pled guilty to sexually molesting his six-year-old niece when he was 15. Now, he claims that he is not actually guilty of this and made the guilty plea to protect his family. Um, And... You know, obviously, it's another case where we may never know the real truth here. But the reality is, in this case, that he actually pled guilty, which is more than most of these players. Most of these players, these are just allegations, and they're never actually, you know, charged with crimes. In this case, this is an actual crime that he pled guilty to. Well, and a lot of people will point to, it, it's it's certainly far from unheard of, for people to plead guilty to crimes that they haven't done. Sure. But the scenarios in which that occurs is so very different from this situation. And it's frequently, you know, young young men in poverty and with criminal histories, often other crimes in their background, poverty, men of color who are not, known for getting a fair shake in the in the justice system and their crimes like robbery and assault and not i it's a totally different thing for this i guess i'll call him a, a boy i mean he was 16 i believe when this happened for him with a like stable family situation white middle class you know, he can afford a lawyer. He's not, this is not all, you know, with a public defender is 23 minutes to decide to plead guilty to a crime of this magnitude. It's just a totally, they're not comparable situations. So to point to a well-known problem in the justice system for a very specific population and to assign it to this, it is not, they're just not equatable. So just putting that out there. Sure. And I mean, and I mean, you know, again, we'll never know the full story, probably. And it's possible he did not commit this crime and he was actually protecting his family. But if that is the case, then, you know, you assume all the consequences that come with that. If you have to make that cost benefit analysis, if you've decided that you are going to plead guilty to this crime and again, this is separate from the justice system preying on, you know, certain groups. You have to accept what you have pled to. And that 
should involve not playing professional baseball ever again. But um, he did go undrafted at the time. People were worried that he would be drafted to, you know, by a major league baseball team regardless of this. Um, and the Royals, Royals were really going yeah. for it. Yeah, we thought they might. They did <laughs> not. No one drafted him. He went undrafted. However, he <laughs> he did sign a deal with a, a team in Liga Mexicana in Mexico, a professional team. Um, and he it was unclear whether he would be, you know, permitted to play for them at first. But because the president of Mexico, you know, said maybe we're not going to let him play. But, um, you know, but he did, you know, he is playing for them. As far as I know, in April, he was set to make his debut for them. So and, you know, it, this is kind of one of those things where it sets the it lays the ground for him potentially coming into into baseball through the back door and no one making a stink about it which we should which just means we have to make a stink every Mm -hmm. time every time the royals are like well that's just what you have to do is is let them know we're paying attention yeah and the royals taking the whole year the now attitude like you can't watch porn in the clubhouse but sexually assaulting a six-year-old is okay like you can't choose your morals that way right yeah it would be pretty be pretty ironic in the worst way (laughs) if the royals (laughs) were ultimately the team to sign him but you know these are these are just things that you know happen that go under the radar because not enough people are talking about it and we just need to keep talking about it um so you know we're not we on this podcast are not going to stop talking about it and you shouldn't either (laughs) Because if we if we stop talking about it, we allow these things to happen because it sends the message that this stuff is okay. And we need to tell the world that it's not okay that this stuff is happening. Um, so that is our update on last week's episode. Um, we are going to take another break. And when we get back, we're going to finish up um, this week's episode with um, answering some of your emails. Um, and then, of course, with walk-off wins as always. So stay tuned for that. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, and we are back. Um, We are going to do um, what we call the seventh inning stretch, uh, which is when we answer your emails. We haven't done that in a few weeks, so we're going to answer some emails that we've gotten. Um, So our first email is from Ryan Carney. Thanks, Ryan, for writing in. 
Um, so generally, I'm not going to read the whole email, but generally he thinks that we were, you know, we've been too tough on Jason Vargas and he's not really the problem with the pitching and we've got other problems that are more important than Jason Vargas. And he writes in part, and I quote, if we get five decent innings out of our fifth starter, especially with the supposed quality of our other four starters, we should be happy. I don't know how long Vargas will continue his run of non-abysmal starts, but he's not the problem. In fact, his ERA in games he starts is only 4.18 this year, if you take out the relief inning. His second half last year wasn't awful. First impressions matter a lot, and his first impression with the 2018 Mets was horrific. And And also his almost first impression this year as the back-to-back debacles of pitching in relief and then not getting out of the first inning was pretty blood-curdling. I'm not a Vargas apologist. I think he should be on a very short leash. As someone who lives near D.C. and saw him pitch a lot, I really wanted them to sign Gio Gonzalez. But the Mets' lack of pitching this year has not been a Vargas problem. Um, So I think that that's a fair point, Ryan. I agree with you. I think that, you know, a lot of people are really tough on Vargas um, and, you know, he's done okay since, you know, his early uh, struggles. Obviously, he's on the injured list right now, Um, but he did put together a string of okay starts. Um, My one quibble that I'll take with what Ryan said is he said at the beginning, if we get five decent innings out of our fifth starter, Vargas hasn't been even been going five is the issue. Like he's basically like four, four and a third, (laughs) four and two thirds, like if we can get five decent innings out of Vargas, that's good. He's only pitched in the sixth inning, if I think, a single time this season. And most of the time, he's not even pitching in the fifth inning. So, you know, that's kind of the real problem. Not just not just the quality of his pitching, but the fact that he's not even going five innings. Well, and didn't they sign him as, like, an innings guy? Innings like, eater, and he's... they called him. Yes. <laughs> you know? Like... In the end, he's been the complete opposite of that. So, I mean, yeah, as a fifth starter, I guess you can get by with that. But the issue is, is then it starts snowballing. Like now, when you also have, I know Vargas is also hurt, but let's say Matt still can't go. And then you have Wilmer Font and Jason Vargas in your in your rotation. That's when the issue pops up. Not just Jason Vargas. It's what's beyond him, too. And can you afford having you know, two wasted days almost. Well, I do also, I do appreciate Ryan pointing out that they still should have signed Gio Mm. because that's, you know, it's not that Jason Vargas is the worst pitcher on the planet. It's just that there are better options that build a better roster. Um, And I think that's what has, I think that sometimes gets translated as, Jason Vargas is the worst pitcher on the pl- on the planet, but he's not. It's no. That is a fair point. The Mets still need to sign or acquire at this point of the year. Who even knows what's going to happen? Um, they need more pitching. Everyone needs more pitching, but the Mets yeah. definitely need more pitching. Yeah, yeah. That's still the heart of the matter is the depth. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, and we can't afford. You know, we can't afford a pitcher that's a supposed innings eater only going four and a third innings when our depth is so thin. That's the problem, because then our bullpen gets taxed. Then we get bullpen injuries, which we already have, and then it domino effects on the whole thing. So it's not necessarily that Vargas has been the problem from the perspective of his ERA. It's not that, you know, he's not getting bombed every night, which is good. That's great. Um, And I'm happy and I'll fully take that from Vargas. You know, (laughs) my Vargas bar is pretty low at this point and I will fully take what he has put together so far. But the problem is, is the the lack of length that we're getting from him 
and how that's taxing the bullpen and we already have such thin depth if we had more depth behind him and we're able to cycle more guys up from AAA that were actually effective then you know it would be less of a problem but it's still it has a domino effect and it's been a real problem and we've seen it already um so we will move on to our um, other email uh, from Steve McGowan. He's actually sent us two emails, which is really, really great. Um, he sent us an email saying that he is listening all the way from Alberta, Canada, and he really enjoys the show, which is so great to hear. So thank you, Steve. We've already had like uh, emails from many countries, which is so great. That's like really cool to hear that people are tuning in, not just in the U.S., but um, in Canada and across the pond in Europe, which is really, really cool. Um, really glad to see it. Um, he also um, sent a message to us saying that he really enjoyed the most recent the the most recent show about domestic violence the most. Um, and he said in part, and I quote, "I would uh, I would reiterate that having fans like you matter to the sport. You continue to enrich the game by your dedication to the game and your willingness to produce a podcast that gives us Mets fans everywhere the opportunity to hear your voices and learn from you. So that's really sweet. Thank you so much, Steve. We really appreciate it." <laughs> Yeah, that's and awesome. I, th- I would say in general, we got really, um, really inspiring feedback on our last episode about domestic violence um, in a similar vein to what Steve sent. Um, although Steve certainly like was extremely um, touching with how he he phrased it, and, and um, but that was really uh, it felt really good putting kind of our souls out there last week and um, and feeling that you know people were really hearing what we were saying yeah that helps a lot and having support helps a lot too like in like every aspect just support women because it is it it did take a toll it was very hard to do that last week yeah it's emotionally taxing to not only like see these things on your timeline all the time and have to Mm -hmm. react to them and then have to talk about it again and feel it again and again um but it's it's you know it's worth it to us because you know, we're going to keep talking about these things, even though it hurts, because it's worth it to keep sending this message out there. And, you know, we think it's important that you guys hear this from women, from female sports fans, from female baseball fans. So thank you so much for all of your um, dedication and support for the show. We really, really appreciate it. And we're deeply grateful. Um so our last um, our last submission, it's not an email. It's actually um, a Twitter message that we got. Um, so our last submission is, hey, question for the pod. What are your Mets origin stories for each of you? How did you guys each end up Mets fans? So I think we talked briefly about our origin stories in the very first pod. Um, but uh, Linda, what is your Mets origin story? Okay, well... Um... My dad and my uncle had season's tickets to Shea behind in the orange seats um, behind home plate when growing up. And I don't remember much about the games, the players, anything. I just remember walking up that tunnel and seeing the greenest grass and the bright seats and this it was this the stadium kind of unfold in front of you at Shea. And, you know, that was all inspiring to a kid, you know, just the excitement you got and just, you know, the wonder of it all, just walking into Shea Stadium as a kid. And, you know, 
baseball was kind of in my blood because my dad was a Met fan. My mom is from Philly. She's a Phillies fan. So that's been kind of hard, but um, <laughs> especially, uh, you know, back in 2007, but we won't talk about that. Um, and then, you know, so I don't really, you know, that's kind of stuck with me is, you know, those memories of kid. And but I made the choice to be a Met fan in 1999. Um, I grew to love that team. I fell in love with Robin Ventura and Mike Piazza. And I both love them and hate them for that <laughs> because now they yeah. doomed me to a, to a life of, of being a Met fan. Yeah. And, you know, that was my first real experience of sports heartbreak um, that, you know, but it was also, you know, the it was, it was everything that season. It was like, you know, the high high of the walk off the Grand Slam single and then the lowest low the next day and. So, like, that's what baseball is, you know, you, you go with the highs and you go with the lows and, you know, it still goes on, you know, the players have changed, but, you know, I still love the team. I still, you know, there's always somebody else to root for. Piazza's gone, but then David Wright came and now Wright's gone, but I love Jacob DeGrom. So it's like, you know, it's just, you know, it's the same story, just different chapters that you get to read and you know and that's what, what I find exciting and you know it, it hasn't been the best you know they haven't <laughs> been the best in my life but you know I, I still made the right choice yeah so Maggie how about you what's your Mets origin story um so I my, mine is all genetic um my mom was a Mets fan her dad was a Mets fan um and I don't I mean I just I grew up really loving going to games, even though they always lost. Um, I recently told I guess a couple years ago, I told my mom, I was like, I don't think they ever won when we went when I was a kid. And she's like, no, they definitely won. I was like, okay, name a win. Name one like, time. <laughs> any win that we saw in person. And she could not come up with anything. So I'm going to take that as a as a nod to my being right that I never saw them win but I loved going to games and being at games um I sort of like I really fell away from it in high school and college because I was just in a very very different very different kind of social scene you know I went to Sarah Lawrence we didn't have sports (laughs) or people who liked sports so it just like wasn't really a part of my life but as soon as I graduated and I moved into the city like it just I fell right into it like I had never stopped. So um, so that's my origin story. It's always nice how you, like, like how baseball is, like, such a constant like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you can, you can drift away for a couple of years because you have, like, different life circumstances that, like, take you away from the team for whatever reason. But, like, you can come back and it's, like, nothing ever changed. It's like a, it's like your best friend, you know? Like, how you can go, like, months without speaking to your best friend, but then if you hang out, then it's like nothing ever changed. And that's like such a good thing about baseball for me too. And I feel that. Um, So my origin story is mostly genetic too. Um, My dad is a hardcore Mets fan. um, So he's pretty much the reason why I'm a Mets fan. Um, I actually do come from a divided family though. Um, My mom's side of the family is from the Bronx. So they are Yankees fans. And my dad's side of the family are Mets fans with a couple of exceptions. One branch of my dad's side of the family are also Yankees fans. So um, it's like kind of, I would say like a eh, 65-35 split with the 65% being Mets fans. Um, So... 
Uh, they kind of growing up the the Yankees side of the family and the Mets side of the family kind of like competed for my affections a little bit um, like but the Mets side ultimately won out and it was kind of an uphill battle for the Yankees side because my mom um, even though she really really enjoys going to games with my dad and I she wasn't passionate enough about the Yankees to fight back <laughs> really <laughs> and she kind of just succumbed to Mets fandom when she married my dad and so it kind of became like my grandparents versus my dad. <laughs> um my Yankees fan grandparents um but the Mets ultimately won out um and I would say like my earliest memories I remember the 99 team but only very vaguely and I would say I have much sharper memories of the 2000 team because that's kind of when the fight for the my affections kind of came to a head I feel like um even though the Mets actually came came out on the losing side of that World Series that's kind of like the first like team the first Mets team I acutely remember is that team and then I feel like I kind of started going over to the Mets side during that time just because I fell in love with those players on that team like Linda said Piazza like uh Edgardo Alfonso especially he was my favorite back then um but I feel like like my Mets fandom was really like cemented I'll say with the the post 9-11 home run from Mike Piazza yeah like that's like the moment when I can remember just like falling in love with the game like that just you know being a kid I was 11 um so I was like you know like old enough to understand what was happening but still young enough that like this kind of broke my childhood a little bit like you kind of lose a piece of your childhood that you never get back like when something like that happens and like the post 9-11 world was a completely different place for me than the pre 9-11 world as a child and so you know when you go through something like that as a kid and you're trying to process it all as an 11 year old it's really difficult and like I just remember like Mike making me feel okay again and that was like a big thing with my Mets fandom I was kind of, it was kind of like that was the turning point where it was like all right no going back now like I'm a Mets fan forever <laughs> now there's like no so I like you know early on when the Mets were good in 99 and 2000 those were kind of my like I like baseball years like realizing that I like was enjoying the game and I really liked baseball but like that 2001 home run was really like I'm a Mets fan forever and I'm never letting this go and like Maggie said, like um, in high school, I was a rabid Mets fan the whole time. Like the 06 team um, was during my high school years. Um, so that was like a big, you know, <laughs> I remember all of that. Um, and but I kind of did like fall away from it a little bit in college. Like I followed it all the time, but like I couldn't watch the games. And there's like a completely different level when you can't really watch the games. It's like hard to stay like connected to it. Um, and my college years were 09 to 13. So like during those years, I kind of was like, you didn't t- miss anything. Yeah, I know. I know. I have anything. heard. I have heard the 09 World Series was hell for me because I went to the University of Delaware for my undergraduate and that's very much Philly's country and Mm. but there's also a lot of New York New Jersey area transplants who mostly are Yankees fans uh just because of the sheer statistical numbers of it um and so like the 09 World Series being Phillies versus Yankees was just it was a Mm. living nightmare I like locked myself in my dorm for a week I remember I was like I'm just pretending this isn't happening nope not happening nope I refuse (laughs) to go outside um 
But yeah, so those were my college years, and I was kind of tuned out for the Mets for a little bit, even though I was like following them, but they were bad, and so I wasn't really watching the games every day. But then, you know, in grad school, I moved away from home, and it came back full force, and that's when, like, even though I didn't have other Mets fans near me in my everyday life anymore, that's when I found Amazing Avenue, that's when I started, like, you know, following, like, this online community, and, you know, I'm back and better than ever, so more (laughs) invested than ever, so that's kind of my story and where I came to be where I am now um so yeah there those are our Mets uh origin stories thank you so much um to David I think it was David right who asked us that on Twitter yes um yep yep. so thank you David for sending that in it's always really good to like reminisce about times past and our Mets origin stories um so finally to close things out for this week um we're gonna do walk-off wins like we do every week where each of us talks about what's making us happy this week baseball related or otherwise so Maggie what is your walk-off win for this week um my walk-off win is that I am now officially an aunt twice over um my sister-in-law and her husband welcomed their second baby, uh, Alma, and we met her this weekend. And she's lovely, as most like one-week-old babies are. Um, and yeah, it's just a, they're a great family. We love going to games together. She is in line for many adorable hand-me-down toddler-sized jerseys. Um, and yeah, so welcome, baby Alma, to the world. And welcome to being a Mets fan. That's fantastic. Welcome, baby yes. Alma. Yay. Yes. Yay. Um, Linda, what is your walk-off win for this week? Uh, my walk-off win is uh, Saturday's game. I went to the game on Saturday. This was not my first game. This was my third game of the year that I've been to. And um, it was a nice night. I mean, it did rain later on, but it wasn't like awful, awful rain. It was just little sprinkles. It did start coming down later, but it wasn't like you could sit through it. Um, but we got there early enough. I went into the Mets Hall of Fame. I got to see Jake's Cy Young Award, which looks good. It's all fixed. I can vouch for it being fixed after <laughs> it got chipped in the offseason. Um, Hashtag Mets. Yeah, of course. Um, he has his own little corner um with his jersey and um and with the Cy Young Award and then you know I got to see my, some other cool stuff in there and they have a lot of 69 stuff out um they have the you know the World Series trophies in there they have a lot of Mike Piazza stuff in there um they have the first ever ball thrown in Mets history there so if you haven't been to the Mets Hall of Fame I recommend it they eat them they have a lot of cool stuff in there and it really wasn't too crowded. So you can actually like look and see everything if you get there early enough before the game. Um, and then as for, uh, for the game itself, we had good Jake. Yay. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think even Laura Albanese tweeted um, when he gave up a hit, the crowd visibly groaned um, because he was so good early on. It was, you, you, you have that little thing in the back of your head, like maybe it's today of the day. Um, so, but he did, he, he looked really good and, you know, this was my first Jake start that I've seen this year and, you know, and then I got to see my first Pete ever, my first Pete Alonzo home run, which I was so, and I even got a picture of it, um, cause I just snapped it when he swung and hoped and I actually got it and then I was, you know, Conforto went back to back. So it's games like that, like, you know, it was a hard week with all, you know, the Addison Russell stuff. And um, so it's sometimes it's hard loving a sport or a game that doesn't love you back. But then it's 
you get magical games like that and where you're like, okay, you know, all's good for at least today. Like, you know, it was just the perfect, perfect day to kind of like rekindle my love for the sport. And then like, even when you go to the game, like you see little things like Neil Walker got on base and when, you know, Jake was out of the inning, um, he was trying to get Walker's attention. He finally did. And, you know, I saw Walker look up and like, he kind of pointed and laughed at Jake. So like, just like <laughs> little interactions like that, that That's you awesome. wouldn't get on TV. Um, and Grandy came up to bat. We got to cheer Grandy. Um, I still miss and love Grandy so much. And so, you know, it was, it was just, then the rain had stopped just in time for the fireworks. They got the fireworks in. And then as soon as the fireworks were over, it started raining again. So it was like the perfect window. And, <laughs> and it never stopped ever again. Yeah, and now it, <laughs> it hasn't stopped since. No, I don't think it has, actually. So that was my walk-off win. Just uh, a good night at the City Field Ballpark. And that kind of goes back to what we were saying at the top of the show regarding um, Jake getting things back together again and, like, feeling, you know, feeling good about Jake and that feeling that you talked about of, like, ooh, is this the night? Like, that's what all of 2018 felt like. Every single start, it was, like, can't miss because you... You were like, if I miss it, I might miss a no hitter. And so yeah, I like, might miss something magical. Yeah, exactly. So having that feeling back about Jacob Degrom, oh, there's nothing like it. Like that's no. just even that alone. Even if like other things continue to go poorly for the Mets, having that feeling back would be really awesome. Just like going into every Jake start thinking like, is this the night? Is this the night? Um, so my walk off win for this week is um, when I gave my thesis defense back in February, um, my really close group of college friends whom I love dearly um, pooled their resources and got me the best graduation gift ever, which was two tickets to see Come From Away on Broadway on Mother's Day weekend with my mom. So that was awesome. So obviously Mother's Day weekend was this past weekend. So my mom and I went to the city on Saturday, uh, the day before actual Mother's Day, and spent the day together. We um, went to Bryant Park, and there was a craft fair happening in Bryant Park, and we just like strolled around, look at all the looked at all the stuff, drank some fancy lemonade, um, some fancy overpriced lemonade, very New York. Um, <laughs> you know, ate some food. Um, looked at all the like independent art happening in the city, which was really cool. Um, and then we, um, ate dinner at a little pub. Um, and then we went to see the show and the show was phenomenal. Um, so that's why it's my walk off win this week because the show was amazing. I knew I was going to love it, um, even going in, because I was like, oh, this sounds like exactly up my alley. But I have a thing where I really, really try not to listen to the soundtrack beforehand. I think the only show that I've ever listened to the soundtrack before I saw the show was Hamilton, because <laughs> uh, it's kind of like I kind of fell out of the loop at that point, like kind of had to listen to Hamilton. Um uh, but I so I didn't hear the soundtrack beforehand um, and it was just it was so amazing um, for those of you that don't aren't familiar with come from away um, to give a very non-spoilery type of synopsis um, it's it's based on a true story so it's hard to have spoilers because it's you know historical um, but it's um, about this tiny town in Newfoundland, Canada, um, that's right next to the Newfoundland airport. Um, and in the aftermath of 9-11, obviously all of the planes um, were grounded and American airspace was closed um, because of the 
terrorist attack. And so um, this little town in Canada suddenly had to deal with all of these planes full of people that were grounded in their tiny airport. Um, and the population of the town doubled overnight. Um, and they, it was a, it's just about this tiny town um, taking in all of these essentially like refugees from all over the world flying to all sorts of destinations that were grounded in Newfoundland, Canada. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, there are parts of it that are sad, obviously, because it's, you know, the events surrounding 9-11 and everything having to do with that. But mostly it's just a really happy show because it's about, you know, the power of human compassion and this tiny town banding together with what little resources they had to house all these people and all these people, you know, sharing this really tough experience together, but forming bonds that can never be broken as a result of that. So it's a really emotional, really, really good show. Highly recommend <laughs> if you have the opportunity to see it, to go see it. But, you know, like a lot of Broadway plays, it's like impossible to get tickets to it. Um, you know, I got these tickets a long time ago and I'm finally going to see it. And so I'm really, really grateful for my friends for getting me this such a fantastic graduation gift and even more grateful that I got to share it with my mom on Mother's Day. So that is my walk off one for this week. Um, so that does it for this week's show. Um, join us next Wednesday for another um, edition of A Pod of Their Own. In the meantime, you can go to AmazingAvenue.com. Look for all of our fantastic content. Um, like Maggie alluded to, she is dropping a Rosario piece pretty soon about Rosario's renaissance and how he's looked pretty good lately. Um, so keep looking for that and all of our game recaps and news posts um, and all of our regular content. Um, you can follow Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can follow our show on twitter at a pod of their own you can follow me on twitter i am at petite phd where are you linda i am at linda Surovich. and you maggie at maggie 162 you can follow all of us on twitter follow the show if you want to be featured on one of our mailbag segments on one of our seventh inning stretch segments you can email the show a a dot a pod of their own at gmail.com so be sure to shoot us an email if you want to be featured on one of these segments in the future. Um, original music uh, in the intro and outro to this podcast is by Bunga. Uh, let's go Mets. And don't forget, there is no crying in podcasts.